You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello and welcome back to Of Slights and Men. Uh, We're very excited to have a, a special guest with us today. Um, who I'm sure everyone has heard of, uh, and that I think Benji's going to give a, a, a little brief introduction before we get started. Yeah, and, and thankfully, um, I only really need to give a, a brief introduction because once I say this guy's name, I'm pretty sure most of your brains are going to light up and you'll you'll know exactly who this is. We're, we're speaking with um, Roberto Giobi, uh, who is um, the author of the Card College series, the um, one of the most widely published series of books in magic definitely the standard for approaching and and some would say mastering card magic um but that's not his only work he has put out a lot of other incredible books the art of switching decks uh, secret agenda i'm sure we'll get into some of these with roboto in a minute he's also won awards from fism uh, the academy of magical arts he's a he's pretty much a <laughs> uh, how do i say giant in the magic world uh, world and we're, we're very excited to ask him a few questions um which i think we'll get into now yeah, so uh, Roberto, um, I wanted to start quickly. I so I read about how you you know you borrowed that book off the um, the shelf in the library when you were fourteen, and that kind of started your magic journey. But I was interested. Um, you've I read also that you 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 studied uh, kind of linguistics right at university, and so I wanted to ask what was the moment you knew right that you needed to do magic full time. So obviously you've gone to university, you've done extensive studies, but what, what was the moment where you decided that magic needed to be your, your primary passion? Good, you start with a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Hello to both of you, Jacob and Benji. Hello to everybody who listening to us. Yes, well, I, you know, certainly the moment when I was 14 years old and pulled that book out of the public library shelf and looked at that hand, with the four billiard balls, that certainly opened the door uh, to my future. But mm-hmm. at that moment, I did not know. Uh, so when did I know? This is was a progressive thing because there are different terms. For the, are you are you still with me? Because this is getting yeah, dark. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, uh, I became what you would probably call it a hobbyist. That magic was just first of all, it was a hobby, very intense hobby, I must say. That was mm-hmm. the first year, so when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, I already spent five, six hours a day, at least, uh, at least that's what was my, my memory, uh, do, doing all kinds of tricks in these books, you know, that was small illusion and, and close up and, and using cups and cards. It was not yet uh, specialized to, right. with, with cards as an instrument. And then I, I would, you know, maybe when I was 18 or so, I had my first uh, uh, performance, little performance in, in, in a church bazaar. So uh, I, I got to, to the status maybe of amateur magician. Still, I would never dream of uh, earning my life with magic. Then uh, during the studies, I already got so so here in uh, i finished my what you would call high school at about age 19 and got mm-hmm. to university uh at about uh, that's what you call college in the, in the us right uh, that yeah. would be 
like uh, yeah, ninety-ish at the end uh, of ninety-ish. So, uh, and then I get get some small series uh, um, performances, you know, which were a little bit better paid. So I could say I finance, start to finance part of my studies with magic, but still not right. thinking of doing magic. And you know, then get you get to this part time. Uh, Gene Anderson called call this the part time professional, which at that hmm. time is a term I liked a lot. Now I'm not <laughs> so sure about it. Uh, as Max Maiman once said, "Would you like to have your teeth made by a part time dentist?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm no longer so sure about that term. But let's keep uh, keep keep that term to explain that. Then, then in 1984, I finished my studies, which were in linguistics and literature, in uh, in, 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 uh, in, in Italian, French, and, um, and English. Hmm. And, uh, I already spoke Spanish and German, so I had my uh, five languages. Good start. <laughs> that's right. So I start. That's when I started to work in a software company until 1988, and in 1986, that was two years into that uh, job. I was a uh, uh, I was with a funny with a, a software company who was a market leader at that time. It was called Autodesk, and they they were the inventors of AutoCAD, which uh, a few of our listeners will know is still must still be one of the leading uh, CAD CAM uh, softwares. You know, where oh yeah, 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 heard of it. Drawings, yeah. At that time, it was two dimensional. Then, uh, and and that's when I first went to my boss in '86 and said, well. Uh, Rudolf, that was his name. I think I have to quit uh, because I, you know, I, I think I need to do magic. And he said, "Well, why don't you stay with for four days instead of uh, or five days, so you have an extra day in your and uh, during the week, and we we, we can mm -hmm. leave you when you have to go to conventions and have you know we, we can make arrangements." So I stayed another two years, and. Uh, yeah, so that that was quite transitional, isn't it? So it was not a, a decision from one day to the right. other. In 1988, so, I participated at FISM in The Hague and uh, and won a prize in uh, in card magic. And that, you know, in the small country of Switzerland, you, yeah, <laughs> it's easier that, that <laughs> the media know about you. So I, I got into a uh, the most important Saturday evening TV show. Uh, it was not enough to make me famous because at that time there was already a lot of TV channels. So the time was over, you know, 10 years before or 15 years before. But in Switzerland, there were only two TV channels. You went on to a show, you will be Swiss famous next day. <laughs> in 1988, it was not. But... But it did uh, deter, make me, you know, uh, increase my determination. And I went again and I said, uh, well, Rudolf, I have to go. And I, he said, well, I knew. And that was the moment, you know, where I, uh, right. but I still had the option. You know, I still said, well, how is it going? You know, because you can never know when you do this mm -hmm. uh, fantastic step. In hindsight, it, it, it's not. But at the moment, you, 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 and I had a safe job earning mm -hmm. for my age. A very good salary, mm -hmm. far more than than most mm -hmm. of my colleagues uh, who had finished the studies with me. I was just lucky, you know, because mm -hmm. it was, not because I was good. It was just I was lucky because it was this software thing, which at that time, you know, they, they yeah. like 
eight floppy disks and the handbook for eight thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite incredible. So, uh, so I said, well, even if I don't get one, uh, one performance, one gig, as you as, as you sometimes say, I don't like to right. that much. Uh, for a year, I can still make a comfortable living, and then they will take me back. You know, because uh, I was good enough at what I was doing, and and. And I like people like me. But the moment I made that step, I really never looked back. And that's now, what's that? That's now 33 years, right? 1988 Mm -hmm. until 2000, and we are now 21. That's uh, 33 years. And uh, I've started out as as just performing. And then I started to do, you know, being interested academically in magic about, uh, you know, it's... 90% 90% below the ice, you know, the iceberg. Mm. If you look from outside, you see 10%. But if you are in the profession, you're you're busy with the 90% underneath people don't see. So I was already at that time when I didn't even have that metaphor. I I was interested in that. So I started to to do to, to occasional lectures. So that got me to so I started to writing to write a few articles, you know, for magazine, mm-hmm. the first lecture notes. Uh, my first book was then in 86, I think, in German. Um uh, was called Cart Perfect. <laughs> because at that time, it was <laughs> software. You, you might remember, or maybe you're too young. It was called Word Perfect. Mm. Remember that? There was a, a, a software, uh, like Word today, you know, that was mm. different. It was a, a desktop, another desktop publishing, uh, just a, how do you call it, a, a writing software, you know, a, right. like Word, yeah. So it was called Word Perfect, and it, it, it had this uh, peculiar spelling with capital W and dub capital P, Word Perfect. Right. Yeah. So I thought I, buy, I, I write a book called Card Perfect. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an edition of 500. That was my first book. Yeah. Wow. That was a long question to show down uh, to a long answer. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I, I had no idea um, you'd worked in a software company. <laughs> what what was your because it's not quite what your mind uh, jumps to when you think of Roberto Giobi as a software company. But but now you got me interested. What was your like role in the software company? Because it seems like going from linguistics uh, and literature to software is an interesting jump. Yeah, the thing it's even it's more curious if you think that. Uh, I had no no talent whatsoever for natural sciences, math, and chemistry, and physics, and I my college was a ma- mathematical, natural science thing, you know, which was which mm-hmm. means <laughs> I sort of wasted uh, like forty percent of my time there. <laughs> I really never understood really uh, most of the things they were they were telling. I was very good at languages. So, uh, but that was the, fir- the the wrong high school. But at the end of the high school, uh, I I picked up this linguistics study, which of course right. was very difficult because at that time that has changed now. But you required Latin as a you, oh, you my word three in Latin, and I did not have it because I had this uh, thing. Uh, I did this mathematical right science thing. So I had to pick up Latin again and. Uh, and then, for some, for some reason, tra- uh, changed it to translator and interpreter school, and just uh, finished my studies there. Oh my so, gosh. in the software company, 
I did the translation. So that was perfect. It was in a, um, of course, mm. in an area that was not familiar to me. However, practically everybody in that company was not familiar with that because at that time, you know, we're talking 84, very few people had a clue. Uh, right, it was an up-and-coming business. Cat Cam was... was they, they all came in, even the programmers had no idea about that. They had to learn on the job. <laughs> Everybody was learning on the Everyone job. Everyone was learning a different sort of language, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was concerned with translation. My first job was to translate the darn thing from, from English to, to, to German, of course, which... Uh, <laughs> You know the the instruction, the, the handbook was already like wow. three hundred pages. Now that's very specialized vocabulary as well. Absolutely, that's when you you know you, you come from your studies. You've studied like six years almost <laughs> linguistics and all the thing, and then you are you are there like in a desert, and you say, "God, this is I have to learn everything from scratch." These words yeah. did not exist. Some of them I had to make up. You know, we, wow. we created terminology. <laughs> It's similar to the, you know, my books at Card College have been mm. translated in Korean and and Japanese and Chinese, and my Chinese publisher TCC said, "Well, we had to invent some signs because they could not exist." <laughs> mm. And and if you take the the well, actually the Japanese, uh, any of the uh, the Asian languages uh, editions, you will have proper names like Jennings, Vernon, Ascanio, uh, written in in uh, Latin letters. In Latin letters and, and not in their in their own uh, writing because right. they don't exist. So that's that's very funny. But when I received, I think it was the Korean translation, I find I found twenty one typos, and I write back and I say I found twenty one typos. So the guy thinks, well, you're joking. You can't read our language. I said, no, no, I found it in the proper names. You know, in the title oh. <laughs> you quoted and. <laughs> But to be fair, I wouldn't be surprised if you did yeah. just turn around and say, "Yeah, you knew." Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, I, I was, uh, I, I, I was doing the, mm. the, the linguistic part of, of yeah, the, of so, advertising, mm. you know, and and that yeah, when I left in ninety, when I came in, we were seven people, and when I left in nineteen eighty eight, we were ninety people distributed about wow. continents. So you were right in at the top. Yeah, so you understand how much more difficult it was for me to leave. Because yeah, definitely. It was absolutely booming. So it was really not a decision uh, where, you you know, if you get hassled and your job is lousy and you get a little pay, it's easy yeah, yeah. to say, I quit. But everything was very good, and I quit nonetheless. So uh, that's uh, that's the, one of the best moves I made in my life. But again, you know, I, I'm being asked by so many young younger people, uh, and now it's with 61. You know, I, I, I've been asked a lot in the past decades: should I become a professional and things like that? Right. Because that's that's a difficult uh, thing to answer because it's the economies are so different, uh, as we know, uh, in every country. So to, to become a, a professional. In the, in the USA, or become a, a professional in Finland, or become a professional in Switzerland, is a or in Croatia. I don't know, you know which country you pick. You know, mm -hmm. it can be a totally different thing. Right. But we are in a totally different topic. But that's what what is nice about magic. It's so incredibly networked. I have a metaphor for magic. I said it's like a, a 
a diamond. You know, diamond diamond has faceted facet facets. Yes. Facet. Yes, every facet of the diamond links to a topic of real life. And it's really, yeah. we could talk about anything and we would find that it reflects itself. You know, that, that this topic, be it architecture, psychology, filmmaking, or whatever you like, is reflected in magic and magic is reflected in those uh, topics as well. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a, a, the fractals, the Mandelbrot set, you know. The fractals, where one element of the fractal contains the whole, and vice versa, right. uh, in infinitely. So then, yeah, I, I love that. Actually, that was one of the quotes that I actually wanted to bring up with you. So thank you so much for jumping the gun with me on that one. I appreciate it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I have a quote from you right here, and it's basically what you just said. And and I wanted, to, I actually wanted to ask you about it because I think it's super interesting. You said. I've come to appreciate that magic is like a multifaceted diamond. Every facet connects to a discipline of life, regardless of whether you look at other arts, psychologies, um, sociology, uh, the crafts, gastronomy, gardening, architecture, teaching, or what right. have you. It is reflected in magic, similar to a fractal, like you said, that reflects the pattern of the whole in every detail. So I, I thought that was a beautiful quote. Um, and I wanted to know, kind of... Um, can you elaborate, basically? I mean, I don't know much more. Well, to maybe, say maybe I have a, yeah. I have a, probably a word <laughs> that might make it easier for Roberto if I, uh, I phrase it this way. So one of the things we like to do, Roberto, when we have the guests on is um, we, we ask them about uh, maybe a hobby of theirs or a pursuit in their life that they uh, has nothing to do with magic, you know? So when we had Andy Gladwin on the other week, we asked him about his career in programming. Um, and then we asked him... Is this something you, you picked up while you were doing programming that you've been able to help give you this kind of unique advantage in the way you approach magic? So, Roboto, you know, we've talked a little bit about linguistics, uh, academia, philosophy, translation. Um, we could go into any one of those, but let's say, for example, translation. Is there anything you learned via the process of translation that then when it came to any aspect of magic, whether it's writing your books, you know, translating ideas from your mind onto the paper, performing, you know, stuff you were able to borrow from there? I think regard, uh, in harmony with the quote I, <laughs> you just used before, you really mm-hmm. can learn something from everything. And from translating, of course, it's uh, um, you learn the academic approach, first of all. That's an advantage if you, if you go to, to college, that is right. looking at uh, a taxonomy, looking that things have, have, have categories and subcategories and sub-subcategories, and that they need to be named. So there is terminology. So that certainly is something. But that's independent of the subject you're studying. The particular thing of of linguistics, of course, is that it has to do with interpretation. So it's a way of, uh, Mm. especially when you you are into translation, let's say you you have an expression, typically are metaphorical expressions. If you say the English says, this is not my cup of tea, the German will say, this is not my beer. This is neat. Right. Okay. <laughs> so suddenly you, you, you realize that, uh, and this reflects itself in, for instance, in humor. If, if, uh, if you're using a line in your, in, your, in your act and you change culture or you do it in another language, that the same line might not get the same reaction and laugh because right. totally different uh, connection people have emotionally and culturally to this uh, to this particular line. So, mm-hmm. the, so translation teaches you 
that uh, every reality the person creates in his mind is a personal one and does not necessarily coincide with the truth, which yeah. is actually what we are doing when we are doing magic. You know, if I try to take a, a coin in my left hand using a French drop or something, uh, I know exactly what I'm doing. I have a reality, but mm. the reality I have to construct in the spectator's mind is a completely different one, which will eventually lead, or we hope so, lead them across the rainbow, to use another metaphor mm. by, by Tamariz, or, or leads them into Wonderland, or uh, across the, the mirror, or whichever metaphor you want to use. Uh, right. and, and that's, of course, that's also a translation, right? Because you yeah. have translation is transformation, uh, mm. and transformation is the basis of uh, of 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 everything, of every moment you perceive, you hear, or see something, you are transforming it, you are translating it in your mind because you want to understand it. That is, you right. want to create a reality. So you see, you, you get into actually this psycholinguistic, which is a, a, a specialized branch of linguistics. But really, it's, uh, yeah, so uh, that I learned. And of course, the best thing was that, uh, that of course, Having access or mastering six languages gave me access, professionally speaking, to many types of shows others could not do. Now, you imagine you had like a Swiss bank or a Swiss chemistry car, uh, uh, enterprise, they would, they would have an international convention. It's very hard right. for them to, uh, to book a, a, a dance band because 95%, I think, still nowadays are men. So it couldn't dance. It was very difficult to book a comedian because a comedian would speak, you know. And uh, so most people wouldn't understand it because they come from, from different parts of the, of the world. And I could do what uh, well, Paul Potassi has done before me very successfully or Danny Ray do my, my show in five languages. So that, that was a very practical uh coincidence in a way you know, that a gift I was given <laughs> because I did these studies yeah I interrupt this podcast to give a brief shout out to thedailymagician.com if you haven't already signed up for our daily emails please head over to thedailymagician.com and sign up now we promise you won't regret it yeah um, it's interesting uh, Roberto because um, I actually I don't know if you like correct me if I'm if I'm wrong <laughs> with this study that I've read about linguistics, but yeah. I've read something and, and I think it was uh, Russians and English people or Russians and English watching and they got them to watch the same clip right of somebody uh, walking down a road, and it was really interesting um, because and again correct me if I'm wrong but what I heard <laughs> uh, is that um, in Russian there's a lot more words to describe how somebody's walking right. Um, and so, like, you know, they have, like, 10-plus words for the the verb, like, to walk. Um, and so it, it was interesting, but while in English, you know, we don't have as many. It'll just yeah. be like, you know, you can say, like, stroll or, like, yeah. walk. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was interesting. So the two of them, um, when, when they got those two groups of people to watch this clip, right, the Russian people would describe the background. So they would describe the shops that they were walking past. They would describe what the pavement right. looked like. And then the English people or 
or sorry, the other way around, the English people would describe the background and like the shops that they walked past, the cars, whatever. And the Russian people would describe how they walked because they had more vocabulary to describe that. And so that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about this kind of this perception and, and translation, how we're constantly creating this reality in our minds. It's interesting just how deeply that is rooted in language because the, the you know, like, yeah, go ahead, Vince. Which like the um, Wittgenstein, you know, the limits of my language are the limits of my world in a way. I don't right. know if that quote is word for word, but yeah, I, get, I see where you're going. Yeah. And so, so it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm wondering kind of like, how, how have you like, do you harness that in magic? Like, do you see a difference? Like, for instance, if you're, if you're performing to somebody in French versus German or Italian versus English, do you, like, how do you, I mean, I'm just interested, how do you translate that? And do you see a difference in your performance or do you actively perform differently for, for different languages and cultures? Yeah, even in Switzerland itself, you know, if I'm, uh, uh, if my target audience is a, uh, is a hip young audience uh, or if it's uh, a 70 or 80 uh, birthday mm -hmm. I will uh, choose maybe different tricks or I will um, have a different pacing you know right. it's the same in every country if I perform if I perform in Basel if in Basel my pacing will be like this if I perform in Bern uh, in Bern which is the cap the pacing is like like this and if i perform in zurich it will be like this you know and that's just uh, we're talking like a 70 miles uh, difference yeah so, yeah so the pacing of course in any performance is, is one of the great secrets the vocabulary is i don't do any um, kid shows because that's a profession in its own but i have done of course but you mm -hmm. can do it for for teenagers of course or for yeah well older children let's say you know nine plus uh, mm -hmm. and then again you have to to adapt in, in secret agenda i believe i have uh, i had one day dedicated to tricks you can also do uh, for, for for children you know seven eight nine years from right. the adults repertoire so that would be like linking rings or coins across or coins through table i mean those that have a visual element to it rather than of course mental tricks or even card tricks which are conceptual and most card tricks like 95% of all card tricks are conceptual that means you have a card selected you shuffle it back you have somebody name a number but still mm -hmm. nothing has happened and then of course after maybe five or six minutes you you have the cards spread on the table you cover them with a newspaper it's all interesting but nothing really happened and now you stab your knife through the thing, and the, the card has been stabbed. So it's after eight minutes that you get the effect. Right. So that, yeah. So uh, if you do that type of trick, of course, it's a different thing. And if you're doing the linking rings, when I was doing, mm -hmm. for instance, trade shows, I, for several years, I've been doing trade shows. Uh, fortunately, I don't you no longer do them. But at that time, it, I found this interesting. And of course, you have to, to find tricks, especially the opening trick, where people could step in at any point of the trick and still understand it. And there are not many tricks mm. magic that do that. You, you imagine the mental trick, somebody stepping in after two and a half minutes, mm. doesn't know what you're talking about. Whereas mm. if you do linking rings, or you do the cups and balls, or you do the miser's dream, you know, uh, even if the miser's dream is a, it won't be too long anyway, but 
a good miser's dream routine might very well be like three, three and a half minutes. Uh, even if you step in after two minutes, you understand it. A linking ring routine will run easily between four and six minutes. Again, you can step in at any moment. You, you can still uh, understand what this is about. Same, yeah. So uh, you you choose according to not only the language, but the, the age group, of course, the education, the vocabulary. I mean, I used to do shows where you get, um, uh, you, know, you know, when here I don't know how you call this in English, when you fi- you finish the construction of a, of a building, there was usually Mm-hmm. Uh, a big party being thrown where everybody who was involved into building into construction right. invited. That I've I've done quite a few of these, and they are not easy to do. Uh, people are of course very thankful to 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 um, attend these shows, but uh, people are in construction come from different cultural and linguistic backgrounds. Right. If if I do. Uh, a convention for an international doctor's convention. It's it's not on a manager's convention. It's not difficult because they all speak English. Actually, the convention language will be English. But mm-hmm. if you go on the construction site, uh, not everybody yeah. will just speak one language. No, so, certainly not. Uh, yeah. So uh, still pick some tricks where the, the humor translates. So it has to be more, you know, sight gags or situational mm-hmm. comedy. That, that's I, I have stuck to Vernon's advice, which always he always maintained. There should be no comedy in magic except that which arises out of the situation. Interesting. And, uh, and if I look at, at, at the magic I do, it's really I, I get a lot of laughs, but there is almost no purely linguistic laugh. It's mostly all comes out of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a situational comedy. It's almost like a natural product of, of what's going on. Yeah, I, you know, if, if I may use an analogy from gastronomy, when you do, when you do a, a dish, your, your great responsibility as a chef is to not destroy the product, but to recognize the characteristics of the product and to enhance them. So use a little hmm. salt or, or some spices to get, hmm. and of course, the manner to prepare it, so that the good which is already inside the product comes out, and right. then, for Christ's sake, don't put ketchup or a cheese sauce <laughs> or something on it, mm. or pepper, you know, because you're going mm-hmm. to destroy all the work. And the same thing is with a, with a magic trick, you know, um, when you are putting too much comedy or too much presentation on top on a, of an essentially brilliant, great trick, you know, which has an inherent quality. Uh, mm. Then you, 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 you might destroy it, you know. Of course, mm. there are a few talented people who are so communicative, so naturally funny, that it still is going to be good entertainment. But mm. very often, I see people, you know, trying to be amusing or trying to find telling a story. That's the worst, you know, when you're trying to tell an, a non-fitting story over a trick, and you just destroy uh, the, the inherent beauty mm. which was given to you by the trick itself of course that rem- you have to have a good trick to begin with that's right. another story again <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me of a you know henry ford the uh the guy who started obviously ford motors and, and ford company yes he would always take people out to dinner before hiring them or at least is how i've heard it told i wasn't there 
Um, and before deciding whether to hire them, he, he would go out to dinner with them. And if they put uh, salt on their food before they tasted it, he wouldn't hire them. Um, because to him, it showed a lack of uh, appreciation for, for just testing and tasting what's already in there and, and figuring out, does it need the salt? Because if it doesn't, they're just too impulsive and they shouldn't be working for him anyway. And it sounds yeah. like a similar process. Well, they should apply this criteria to, to uh, political elections then. <laughs> wonder how, how many. People You'd be cutting a lot of people out, huh? Get fired then, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's interesting um jacob do you mind did you have a question or because i have a, no I no go to, just kind of go back to take it take it away one of the things we talked about earlier which was um because it's such a big kind of like thing to dissect i kind of wanted to take a little bit more time for it you were talking about how uh magic like a diamond you know all the facets the and it reminded me i'd, I'd seen you quote uh scanio in, in some work of yours about how uh you know you have to go wide and deep and so go in and that's not just, I don't think that's just internal to magic. Because like we're talking about with the, the multifacets, right? The wider you go just in life in general, the deeper it helps you go in, in magic. Because then you you don't just go wide within magic, you go wide outside of magic. Yeah. Um, so yeah. kind of, mm -hmm. and you can talk about that if you want, but I, I had a follow-up question based on yeah, that. Well, which is, um, mm -hmm. There's so many things, you know. Uh, everything mm -hmm. is really, there are smaller things and there are bigger things. Um, and all the questions are, are, are interesting if you're trying to get at their essence, you know, mm. and, and that's going deep, you know, mm. but it's a, not, not avoiding to be shallow, uh, but you, you can be very wide because uh, there, are, there are so many uh, connections and, and things uh, yeah, and ramifications, and they, they all ultimately help uh, looking at uh, a question from a different angle, and that's what you have to do. Because unfortunately, that's, that's why, what beginners always are looking for for the truth. You know, what would you uh, recommend? I do. Well, that's very hard because uh, when you go on in life, you find that there are many ways of doing the things, and you find uh, if you right. if you ask the same question uh, in magic, I mean, to uh, you know. Uh, to, to, to five different very good magicians, you might get some uh, answers which are which are opposite each other. It's like in religion, you, you you can you can ask five religious leaders from five different religions to give you an answer, and you got five different answers. Now you wonder, uh, are they all wrong? Are they all right? Uh, apparently, it does work for everyone. So that's that's uh, it's, it's one of the eternal questions you never get a, a satisfactory answer but you have to find that the way where it works for you so that uh, you are satisfied not only satisfied but also happy you know this because mm -hmm. that's the only way you, you can transmit uh, happiness uh, and and you as Tam tamaris always says you you're transferring or you're transmitting a part of your inner world through what you're doing, through your magic. That's when it becomes artistic magic. You know, hmm. half my life I'm thinking about what what is artistic magic. Ever since I read that, Vernon always says, uh, "Well, this is this is art an artistic way of doing it." What the heck is a, an artistic way of doing it? You know? But it certainly has to do with the fact that what you do is something you have thought about. Uh, so with your head, but also where you put your intuition into it, and now this combination of intuition and and ratio, this uh, these two things combined, 
a yield, a result which you put in front of your audience in form of a performance, that that moment, uh, true, sincere, or, or authentic communication happens. You know, that's that's when uh, you are transmitting something more than just the trick. You're giving a part of yourself, if you if you will. You know, if I put into simple mm. words. So uh, yeah, so we see we get from a simple question to a philosophical thing. That's why they give me the award for philosophical <laughs> theory. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, mm. Take it away from me again, because I, when I get into all these uh, discussions, I sometimes get lost. So bring me back with a good question. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, now now that you bring up philosophy, I've got I've got two questions, and maybe I can try and link them all together into one question. So I know that you're a Obviously, you're a fan of philosophy, um, but not just magic philosophy, uh, just just philosophy in general, right? Um, and so, well, I've never gone... studied it. Mm-hmm. I, I never studied it, although I have several books about philosophy and philosophers. Mm-hmm. But uh, f- philosophy in general is just just asking questions uh, uh, that go beyond uh, the the thing which are usually treated in in magic books. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That is yeah. already philosophy now. Uh, yeah. So, well, yeah. in in the uh, pursuit of, of questions that, that go beyond the surface, um, <laughs> let me ask you, so you've gone wide, like we're talking about, um, and so a, a lot of magicians are magicians, not because they've gone wide, but because they haven't gone wide, right? And, and magic is the only thing they've done, and so de facto it's the only thing they can do. Whereas you're, you're really interesting because you've gone very wide and you've gone pretty deep in some other some other pies, right? But you keep coming back to magic, and so I just wanted to ask, um, like, why magic? Like, why is magic the one thing that you you have gone probably the deepest on? Yeah. Um, at least to the public eye, when you have got so many wide, it's not like you were yeah. forced into magic. You you could have done whatever you wanted, really, with with any topic. I don't know. Yeah, that's the question I keep asking myself from time to time, you know, mm. and uh, each mm. time you gain a little bit more insight and sort of. Uh, it's like talking about about art. I have a collection about over 200 definitions of what art is, which tells mm. that nobody knows uh, <laughs> what it is. Uh, but the best definition is uh, uh, is Goethe's, the, the German poet, Johann uh, Wolfgang von Goethe. The Kunst ist eine Mittlerin des Unaussprechlichen. Art is a mediator of what cannot be put into words. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, yeah, and that uh, holds true for that question also. You know, ask somebody why did you fall in love with that person? You know, and of course they they might find reasons. It's all because of uh, this and this and this reason, and then it might be intellectual reason, it might be uh, mm-hmm. physical reason, etc. But is it really true that it's because of that? We don't know. And magic, I don't know. At that age, fourteen. You know, I went to this public library and I picked up books about table tennis. And and, and I, I still know uh, most of the term. I know I, I was always very interested, so I started with table tennis. And I can tell you in German exactly uh, the technical terms of how to uh, play the things. And I, I picked up things about uh, jiu-jitsu and judo. And I, I had a friend who kept practicing things. And about radio construction and about dozens of others other matters, and mm-hmm. I did not become uh, an engineer. I did not become um, a, 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 
Asian martial arts master, etc. I became a magician. <laughs> and why is that? Well, that's that's very hard to, to say because in some way it matches uh, your own or my own uh, unconscious, I should say, beliefs, beliefs, um, the uh, character traits uh, I had. And also, which were developed. It's mm. like thinking and writing. You know, you start to write, and you have to think to write. But while you're writing, this influences your thinking, and your yeah. thinking then influences your writing. And the same thing if you pick up uh, an activity in life, like I did magic. You have been formed to a certain degree when you start to pick it up. But while you practice it and do it, uh, this forms who you are, your characteristics, your, your criteria, your beliefs. And these, in turn, influence how you interpret what you're doing. And while you're doing it, in, it is a, it's, a, it's a circle, isn't it? It's a sort of, of circle that, uh, that then becomes a spiral because the spiral brings you up and up to higher uh, fields, in a way. So you gain a vision mm. of your specific discipline but also uh of life yeah. hmm. so, so would you would you say yeah. if i can uh interject um sure. would you say then that that magic would you say that magic and it's interesting what you're saying because I'm, I'm kind of and maybe to correct me if i'm wrong but it's kind of like it's almost like uh you, you're saying like any profession taking that deeply can expand into this thing and magic was the one that fit for you right as far as like Magic yes. was the enabler for you to see all these different things in life, and and going that deeply into that was just almost like the 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 hobby slash well not even that you know the passion that was the right one for you yeah, and that enabled you like, to see all this other stuff. It was sufficient right. but not necessary. You, you know, I, I wrote uh, an art actually. Uh, um, if if you go to my uh, my page, which is very easy, Roberto Jobby, all in one word, Roberto Jobby. Dot com there mm -hmm. is uh, a section in the menu which is called uh, free downloads i think it's called something like that free free downloads yeah. and i have various essays i published there is in english and you can download that or, or your whoever listens to that and the, the two who left now who are listening still listening <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and there's an essay about the benefits of practicing magic which is a question I've never heard discussed really in either in the literature nor in talks or so, which yeah. is what benefits does it have if you pick up magic as a, as a hobby or as mm -hmm. or even as a profession, which is of course still something else. But uh, I really think that you could probably take up any other discipline in this world and if you do it with, uh, as they say, with, with your hand, your head, and your heart, <laughs> you, you become a better person, and you will contribute to uh, uh, to, to other people, you know, to the environment and to the universe, ultimately, in very small or in bigger doses. Of course, it's, this, this, this will depend on the talent and, and also on the, on the discipline. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think that magic uh, does... Uh, compared to other activities, uh, I have never really done profoundly as magic, but which I look, I think uh, gives 
a lot more uh, complexity than uh, than some other um, some other disciplines, you know. Uh, which doesn't mean that that it's better or not. That it's not true. Right. Uh, like you can be a, a, a pianist, or you can be uh, let's take artistic disciplines, or you can be an actor or stage, or you're a film actor or whatever, or you can be a painter. But look at the painter. Of course, he needs some incredible talent, intuition, and innovation, everything like that. But he will never have to communicate to look spectators in the eye to, you know. To, to do all things that that we do, there is a, even the motorics are normally not as uh, refined as they are in in magic, especially technical magic. So I think there is a lot of things in magic that um, uh, work together. Um, that's probably one of the reasons there are less people doing magic. Than, than than other occupations, it's to do well. It's it's really very difficult, you know. It's not because you do magic that you are a magician. Like Fred, <laughs> I hope right. I don't get misunderstood. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I really hope I don't get misunderstood here, because ninety percent of our listeners are, of course, hobby and amateur magicians, and uh, I don't want to step on their toes by no means, not at all. But uh, I hope they will agree when I say Fred Caps in one of his interviews, actually with Cy Enfield, which was a very good one. You can pick it up mm. in the Patrick Page archive. It's very interesting. Uh, he, he said, well, uh, if, if I'm doing my bookkeeping, it doesn't mean that I'm a bookkeeper. And if I, do, if I mow my lawn, I'm not a gardener <laughs> or a gardener architect. Mm. That's a profession. You know, mm. If you do a, a few magic tricks, of course, you can love magic. But still... You're not a professional magician. This is a profession. You know, magic is a mm-hmm. profession. And you're a professional magician, you know, when you dedicate your whole life to it and you make your mm-hmm. living and you pay your taxes. <laughs> for, for, mm-hmm. That's a profession in a way. You know, it's it's not necessarily quali- the quality. There, there are mm-hmm. what I call inspired amateurs, you know, which have, Cy Enfield, for instance, was one. Ascanio was one. You know, the, the Dr. Daly. I mean, there are some, uh, an endless list of uh, very important and inspired amateurs who have uh, considerably influenced the, the history of magic. Mm-hmm. But uh, ultimately, uh, most of the time, it's professionals who will bring it then to the to a certain level, and uh, yeah, some of them making art of it, like you know, Ricky Jay, René Lavant, Pantamares, the the great artists. They are all professionals. Uh, yeah. really. So it's just, it's just a thought, you know. It's just uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I have a question. So when you've been talking about here, you've been referring to it as like a a professional. One time I seen you quote um Vernon to the effect of to be a good magician, you have to dedicate your life to it. Yeah. Um. So because <laughs> now I want to kind of talk about talking about linguistics, right? Maybe drawing the distinction between good and professional, because obviously it seems a little bit to me like. I mean, you probably can be pretty good as a magician without dedicating your life yeah. to it. Is there another connotation to the word good that, that I'm not picking up on? And is yeah. it more toward what you're I talking about so, as a professional? Yeah. I think so. Uh, you know, Vernon, he, Vernon, he was, not, was not an intellectual, but he was a great intuitive. And, and, and mm-hmm. each time he said something like, be, be natural, be yourself, or the, the quote you, you just mentioned. Mm. Um, yeah, he... Um, you would have to interpret that 
we can't ask him. This is, this is is my interpretation that if you're doing something, devote yourself entirely to it at the moment you are doing it. So if somebody is no, a has family and a profession, and maybe can only devote, let's say, three times an hour and a half or two hours in a week, at that mm-hmm. moment, the uh, you know. Uh, switch off everything, get into it, and do it with respect, with the knowledge that something that has been, you know, that comes from somewhere invented by talented people and that has been handed to you. Now you're taking it in your hands and you're practicing, you're adding things to it, you're, you're making it your own between inverted commas. doesn't mean that you can now publish it if you, if you just... Uh, doing it a little bit different but so that's what i think uh, could have been meant by by this you have to devote your your Mm. your life to it uh so that that's good news for all who have magic as a hobby (laughs) or amateurs you know they could still be uh, at a very high level and 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 still be Mm. you know uh, be very happy on the other side it's true if if we are looking at the history of uh, of magic and say, well, who were the people who who have really brought in uh, paradigm shifts? You know, created mm-hmm. uh, b- belief shifts. And mm-hmm. you go to Hofsin, you say Pinetti and Hofsinzer and David Devant and Robert Houdin and Di Vernon. Well, they are they are or uh, you know uh, Tamarez. They are practically all people who are professionals and also who have decided or have, as far as we know from the biographies for those mm-hmm. men, you know, <laughs> yeah. that they have done magic exclusively. But again, we come back to the diamond to, to practice magic exclusively. It doesn't mean to be an idiot, you know, who just <laughs> does uh, mm. just only magic because by doing magic, you are connected automatically with biography of magicians. You are connected with the history of civilization. You are connected with the psychology because you have to think about how does the memory, how can I make him forget this? So it's a psychology of memory. How can I connect to the person's psychology of communication, body language? It's uh, what do I say? So you're connected with scripting and all these things. So, so you, you know, um, so those people who ha- who have really, de- there, there are both those who have devoted their life entirely to magic in the true sense of the term, mm-hmm. uh, and those who are devoting just part of their life, but then uh, with sincerity and enthusiasm. You know, not just mm-hmm. for the sake right. of being able to stand in front of a group and and being you know being admired. Or doing it for fame or money, or uh, you know, this is of course also a danger in in anything. Those who didn't, who weren't successful in magic, went into politics because it's not, it's not a way to, But uh, I don't talk about politicians because you have to be loyal. You have to be loyal among illusionists. Mm. So you this was supposed to be a funny line, but I don't know. <laughs> it's always it's, uh, whenever whenever the, I hear the word politics, come on, my brain sort of turns into this like, primal mode, where like flight or what is it, flight or flight? <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, all the all these truths, you know, these things which have been said in one sentence, uh, they certainly bear um, some truth, but they have to be reinterpreted, mm. really. Uh, but it's nice to be able to to provoke some thinking by saying it in a in a simple one phrase in one li- in a one line, you know. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah. If I can just add, mm-hmm. just something that I really liked that you that you maybe you're going to say the same thing, Bench, but uh, I really like Roberto that you talked about um, adapting that divergent quote slightly. Um, I mean, I mean, as far as I mean, I think it applies in both ways. But I like how you said when you are in that mode of practice and when you are dedicating to the craft that you give yourself entirely. Um, and, and I don't know if you've read a book called um, uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. What, what's, the, what's the name? Yeah. Deep Deep Work by Cal Newport. No, it doesn't. I have not read that, no. So I, I, I think you'd actually find it really, really fascinating. Yeah. Um, because it, it talks exactly about what you just said, yes. uh, which is the science behind kind of... Um, commitment, right? Commitment, right? And, and so it, it talks about basically, I mean, to... to you know, I don't want to summarize the whole book, and it's definitely worth a read. But it talks about uh, basically how to dedicate yourself to something, and the kind of the key factor that links a lot of big thinkers and that links um, a lot of uh, creatives, um, and, and is that ability to shut everything else out right. for a period of time and focus yeah. entirely on what you're doing. Uh, and and it talks about how this kind of culture of um, multitasking is actually very damaging for our creative process and very damaging for how we how we learn something. And so Benji and I try, and it's often difficult, but we try to every day to spend at least whatever it is we're doing, if it's like writing or if it's creating magic or if it's practicing magic, we try every morning to take, we want, we usually like to do it for like five hours because that requires like a high amount of concentration. But it sometimes ends up being two or three, you know, like you said, maybe you end up with 45 minutes. Um, but it's the ability to, and we try and practice it every day, to focus entirely on what you're doing and no distractions. So no phone, you know, not, not even you know, books, nothing, just this one action that you're doing, you're working entirely on it. And, and it's crazy because your productivity and how deeply you can think about that subject yeah. uh, and how much you understand it increases astronomically. Uh, and, yeah. and it's a really fascinating it's, principle. Yeah, it's ahead. kind of a microcosm, microcosm, uh, microcosm as well of what we were talking about earlier with the wide versus deep. Where if you're like kind of like Jacob saying, when you're multitasking, trying to have all these focuses in your day on any given task, let's say you're, you're know, practicing a bit of magic here, you go off, you read this thing here, you do all this, you're kind of going wide but shallow and all of them. Whereas the whole point of this this deep work thing is you just pick one thing, go super deep on that. It also reminds me of the, um, uh, I'm not going to pretend I know off by heart, but W.H. Uh, Murray. Um, the, the quote that I've always liked, you know, the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves to. So it's like even the acts of putting, your, putting yourself in that position, committing that time, almost invariably, yeah. you know, inspiration hits you, but well, you just have it, to show up. It increases your pleasure at the moment, and that's a quality of life, isn't it? I mean, life is also about... Uh... It's about growing, but also putting quality of life. That's what what mm. quality of life. That is experiencing some pleasure, not just because of itself, but because you have a you you have improved something. Actually, this is a technique. To, because sometimes you know you have philosophical thoughts and say it's just wonderful thought, but how do you really transform this in an action? Right. And, mm. and 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 one of the ways when you're practicing, you know, besides of course as as we discussed, as you said. 
and I agree to, to, to be absorbed with it, is just trying to improve something. You know, if you, whatever you're doing, you're doing, you're holding the instrument in your hands. And that's our privilege as, as magicians. It's not a totally conceptual, abstract thing. It's ultimately we're using our hands and we're using an instrument. You know, and uh, as Carl Jasper said, the philosopher, the hand is the extension of the mind. And I said the instrument is the extension of the hand. So you have a sort of artistic trinity between the mind, the hand, and the instrument. And now you're doing something with it. And as you're doing it, you're trying to do it better than last time. Suddenly you say, oh, if I do this four ace thing, ah, instead of putting them in a line, how about putting it in a square? And instead of putting in a square, how putting it? How about putting it in a diamond configuration? Ah, look at that. Uh, and is it better to put the lead race close to me in that diamond or away from me? Or maybe it should be put away rather than close because that's too close to my body and people think uh, he's doing some shenanigans, you know, with it. Whereas if I put it far away and, it, you know, uh, and so each time you, you go back to this same trick and practice it, you add or better take away a little thing, you know, like Santa Exupéry, the, the author of The Little Prince said, perfection is not attained when you cannot add anything more, but when you cannot take away anything more. Mm. So really, if I say to improve something, I don't mean adding endless details to make it a baroque construction eventually, you know, which is twice as long as at the beginning. Um, but on the contrary, like a good sauce, you know, to, to uh, mm. cook it and reduce it until it has the essence right. of, of, of its flavors. And then, of course, you have to stop because if you reduce it even more, it would burn. Hmm. And the sauce is no longer good. And uh, yeah, and that's true with magic. So that's one very practical thing to live what we've now said uh, is to, to, to try to do something, a slide or add a word or say, oh, at that moment I should pause or maybe I should. I have d different other techniques like the no, ma no hands ma theory. I call it the no hands ma, you know, the little boy who is on the bicycle and say, look, ma, hmm. no hands. And that, that is, uh, get the instrument out of your hands. So when you perform, a, let's say, a, a car trick, but it's, it's true with uh, almost any instrument, even on stage, right. if you can get it out of the hand for a moment, let's place the deck on the table. Like I have a, my a penguin, uh, I think it was the first lecture on, on the stand-up card magic. I do the, um, the homing card, you know, the card that goes to the pocket. It's yeah. a Francis Carlyle's idea but with the deck going to the pocket, which is quite old, actually. Robert Houdin already had the, the idea of a selected card and the deck going to the pocket. Erdne is also. Later, others had have, have, uh, reinvented that. Well, at that, even that trick, rather than keeping the deck in the hand, you can put it on the table. And now you clap your hands and you say, the, the card flies off the deck in the air three times, makes it whatever, and now goes into my pocket. And now you take out the indifferent card that got preloaded there, and you just miscall it as a, a day of selection, which because you've glimpsed it before, of course. Then you put it, you put it back, and you go in sort of applause position, you know, uh, and then go in a secondary action, almost an in transit act, go to the deck and say, and you could have selected any one of these. 
you know, just as, as an aside. And when mm -hmm. you close the spread between your hands, you can palm the top card, replace the deck on the table, and, and step back. Wait another a beat, just and then say, oh, you don't believe me. And then now you have the card palmed, and you go into the pocket, extract it, and then show that it is the card. <laughs> it's just an example where you, you can put the, the deck out of your hand, even in a trick where you think it's not possible, or in an ambitious card phase, do the double lift, show, show whatever, the seven of hearts, turn it face down, now put the deck on the table. Now take the top card without showing it, of course, because it's indifferent, hopefully. <laughs> put, it, put it into the center, square the deck on the table, do your magic move, of course, which is the, the cause of the, of the effect, and now turn over the top card. So that's a no-hands approach to the ambitious card, and it's much better than doing exactly the same technique while holding the deck in the hands. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, that's an, that's just an, an example of how you can improve or, or trying to to add something better. And if you do this each time, you know, uh, you will have a better trick. But in the process, you have grown as a person and as an artist because you have added criteria to huh. your thinking. And when you look at the next trick, you have learned a strategy, you know, which is. This is a resource you have created in yourself. If you're so, we, we always talk about resources and all these self-help books, but they right. don't uh, explain to you exactly how, how does this happen. Well, that's how it happens. You have, to ha you have to work at an idea. You have to have an insight at that moment. You have to realize that it is an insight, and if possible, give it a name. Anschauungen ohne Begriffe sind blind. That. I think it was, it was Schopenhauer. Anyway, if it, it was not him, it, he could have said that. He said, ideas without terms are blind. We are doing, very talented magicians are doing very good things, but often they don't even realize that it is a concept. This is why you have to identify that concept, give it a name, and then describe it. Now you have internalized it. You have made it a part of your resources, which you can then uh, use actually the book I'm writing now, and I hope it will be published next year. is uh, is about the 52 most important comp uh, theories or concepts like that. So all these theories which did not have names and some which have name, I try to name them, describe them, and give an example, and all of that on two pages. <laughs> so you know, quite the task. <laughs> yeah, that's a challenge, of course. That that's what's difficult. It's easy to be, like in this talk, it, it, it's easy to uh, to give long answers. Uh, if I had to write this down, it would take days because I yeah. would have to find a way of, of doing it in a very concise form. That, mm. that, that's a great art. That, mm. That's the art of the genius, which mm. I'm not. Uh, I'm just talented at best. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but still. Well, actually, another way onto the, the topic of um, some of your, your written work, is it is it harder for you to write about mechanics or, or is it harder to write about theory so like your experience writing you know card college like a, yeah. a huge series of yes. you know you go deep you know <laughs> you really go deep in that yeah it's, it's 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 a lot of mechanics not that there isn't theory in there but like card college yeah. being about card magic you'd expect it to be uh, mechanical whereas this book you're writing now about theory which i'm excited and i didn't I, I hadn't heard about that so maybe we can talk about that briefly as well get people a little uh yeah that's excited right. um 
Uh, what, what's the difference and, and which one's harder? If, if you have something uh, technical, you have something which you can touch. You, know? if you have something mm-hmm. tangible. If, if you, let's say I'm going to describe the, the palm, the top palm, mm-hmm. you know, for one card, which top, Vernon's topping the deck. Okay. So um, I have something, you know, because, I, of course, I need to be able to do it. And I'm, some people have said I've, I've collected the best techniques from the books. That's not, it's par, only a partial truth. Because I have redescribed everything as I do it and as I teach it to other people, which is an entirely different thing than writing mm-hmm. an encyclopedia. We just pick a definition from a book and just put it in your book. That's a different different thing. Mm-hmm. So there I, I do have, uh, of course, the technicalities. And now, um, through the mechanics of the slide, the first and I don't find this very difficult because now I've I've become sort of I may say so, uh, without appearing immodest. Is I have become a professional of technical writing to such mm-hmm. a degree that I think that my technical writing even has acquired an aesthetical uh, quality. That is, it is also, uh, yeah, well, it has a set, uh, beautiful to read. That that that's what I'm trying without, of course, influencing. The understanding of the reader—that's didactic, didactics. You mm. know, uh, to write a thing in such a way that maybe a little humor, a little poetic thing, but without damaging what is real, what you want at the moment—that is to teach te- technical, technical magic. So, so I, I become quite good at it, and I don't find it so difficult. But uh, to put it into the larger context that is more difficult and an exercise in that is for instance my book uh, the art of switching decks right mm. this book could have been written in various ways i mean it, it might have been a, a, a good and successful book if i had just collected 50 very good deck switches and simply described them described them well with photographs that would be good enough that's the way of most magic books but the difficulty with that book and with all the other books I've written was to find a higher common denominator, to find a concept which stands above it. And the, the way I have approached it in The Art of Switching Decks is to try to uh, teach, to describe how to study a particular topic, in this case, The Art of Switching Deck. If you take that book, you will see that there is a, a taxonomy. First of all, I have tried to uh, take the deck switches I had at that time, about 150. Meanwhile, I have many more because people wrote in and sent in their deck switches. It was a very nice experience. But I tried to say, okay, I have these 150 deck switches. Are the, can I put these into categories? And so I was thinking about it and looked at them and say, well, that's true. There are uh, deck switches which are mechanical so you need to have some kind of apparatus to switch it so this is uh, I make a category mechanical deck switch there are deck switches which are purely technical that is sleight of hand that is most of these uh, uh, you know cheaters deck switches where you sit at the <laughs> table and you go like Floop, and uh, while you cut or do something <laughs> uh, it, it changes this is this is what most people would like a deck switch to be 
But of course, mm. first, it's very, very difficult. Second, it's also angly and it's limited most of the time to sitting down. But that's a technical. Then I found uh, the. I said, oh, look, there are tricks. If you perform that trick, you only, not only have a good trick, but at the end, you're switching the deck. You know, like having a card selected, uh, losing it in the deck, poking the deck into your pocket, have somebody name a number, let's say five, you extract one, two, three, four cards from the pocket, and the fifth is a selected card. Now you take the rest of the deck out of the pocket, and that is the trick. But it, during that trick, you have switched the deck. So I found there are lots of tricks like that. So I did this created a third category, which are the deck switches during a trick. And then I found there is a subcategory of that that is between two tricks. So you don't need to have a specific trick. You just need to have two tricks. And between the two tricks, you can switch the deck. But you need two tricks, right? So that gave me already four categories. Then after years, I came up with one of the most fantastic categories, which is the no switch deck switch, <laughs> which is a category where you, you just openly taking your deck, you're putting it away, and you're taking another one. And, of course, that's a deck switch, right? Yes. But, well, any, any blind man in a dark room would see that. But uh, it is not so. Because what the eye sees is not what the mind what the mind uh, uh, creates. You know, mm -hmm. so you can look at something and, and and not see it. That's what we do all the time. So an example is to have a and, and I have a, I have a whole chapter devoted to it. The first time I mentioned that, by the way, was in the Secret Agenda, which now has mm -hmm. been reprinted. I should plug that. It's just a, I think it came in yesterday. Into the we are now talking like 17th of December 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, into a uh, yeah, penguin reprinted it. I put that in uh, and I gave about five examples. And then in the in the book Auto Switching Decks, I put a whole chapter. Is uh, idea for instance, uh, you do a card trick and at the end you give the deck away because you say, I know you might think he's a special magician's card. Well, look here, this is a gift for you. I sign the card case and, and I give it to you. And then you do maybe another trick, and now you want to do another trick with cards. And you say, well, for me, this next piece, let me take a new deck. Right? Because that's the one I gave you. I take a new deck. And now you take a new deck you from the cellophane, and uh, you take with your little Swiss Army pocket knife. Uh, you're going to open it up, and you take out a new deck. But, of course, this has been tampered with. As you know, you can open the deck in the back and extract the cards, prepare them, you know, set them mm -hmm. up or insert trick cards, put them back, looks like a new deck. And now you do your stacked or trick deck trick with that. So that's one of the idea of the many ideas I came up with of like really credibly and uh, uh, putting one deck away and then uh, so yeah. So to come back to to uh, to to the to the, the, to the question is that uh, in that book then I I don't just have these fifty very good deck switches, but I'm trying to show that every sub-sub-discipline, be it controls or deck switches or forces or whatever, can be better understood by trying to put an order into them because every content in, in, in every part of these boxes, sort of, is a, is a tool, right? It's a tool. Mm -hmm. 
And, and, and when you are solving a problem, you need a tool. Uh, m- most problems that, that need the screwdriver, you use one or two screwdrivers. But if you're a watchmaker or if you're making gla- uh, uh, glasses, you know, the mm-hmm. eyeglasses, you, you need a totally different set of tools. It's the same thing in magic. You can, of course, survive with one control, one force, and one double lift. But if you get specialized in card magic and you're doing artistic art and you're very complex card tricks, you, you need a lot of different tools. And that's what I try to teach in that book. It's already taught in a way in card college because card college not only has it also the, the whole taxonomy of card magic, inclusive its theory, uh, it also has the some of the best tools and methods uh, and tricks, but it's conceived as a course. Yeah. It's conceived somebody can start from zero to to eighty five, you know, with the five volumes. Whereas the art of switching decks is is not a course; right. it's, it's a study of a of a specific subject, and it teaches, I hope, a way the way you can one of the ways. There are many ways. One, how you can approach the study of a subject. So besides giving deck switches, I hope to also have transmitted to the intelligent readers uh, who are seeking more than just what is written, those who are able to read between the lines, to Mm -hmm. have been able to give more than just the content of a book, which, by the way, is is my definition of a good book. And it's a book which between the lines gives you things which is not which are not written in the line and when you leave the reading of the book you are in, you have been enriched not only by its content but but also by the the culture and the, the passion uh, of the person who has written it right right there you are in that case um i think we're just about ready to kind of close this up, there's one final question um, that I'd, I'd been interested to pose to you, Roberto. Sure. Um, and I was invited to do so when we had uh, Andy Gladwin on the podcast, uh, I think last week, and, and I'd asked him a question that he, he found it an interesting question. He asked me to maybe ask a, a few more guests later down the line, see what they had to say. It's kind of related to the question I asked you earlier about why magic, and it goes a little bit deeper. So that's, uh, my, my question would be, you um obviously just from this conversation alone i think anyone listening can tell you you're very intelligent um you've studied a lot you have a lot of uh problem solving uh skill you know you your mind is very good at breaking stuff down into easily attackable problems and then solving those problems and putting it in a form that other people can enjoy um my, my question would be why what where do you get your where do you derive meaning from in in magic because obviously you could take that same skill of, of problem solving yeah. and solve problems that are perhaps some might say and i have to be careful how i word this more environmentally beneficial or, or beneficial or, or, or help other people more directly than this kind of indirect process of magic so what gives you the most sort of like meaning out of the way you approach magic that's a combination of all the the inherent qualities uh, uh of magic you know it, it, magic has a uh, this uh, solitary moments you with physical things you move it has this uh, uh, it has people in it that uh, have come up with all these ideas you have biographical you get connected with with people and, uh, and, and and the history of it and the history of civilization because the whole thing is of course 
as Max Maven says, magic is not in a vacuum. So uh, yeah, that's a, that's a motivation mm-hmm. that, that connect. Then um, there is there is a a poetic thing to it, which everybody has in uh, herself, himself, uh, and and that, that touches to it. Then there is the moment you can you can. Um, you can share that, you know. You can you can stand in front of of people and get the recognition also because that's also mm-hmm. very important. You know, this is this this ego. If it's good ego, it, it it's an important thing. You know, it's it's only if ego is bad if it's to the detriment of others. You know, like we see a lot in economy or or politics, people getting getting advantages. You know. And others getting disadvantages in magic, of course, this is, is uh, normally not the case. You you are giving something, and the moment of giving, you're receiving. So all all of this is of course uh, uh, coming together, and uh, and uh, and the total is more than the sum of its parts, as it's uh, as we as we say. And that's mm-hmm. certainly true also uh, with magic and with this um, uh, this motivation and gratification you get. By combining, and, and I have come now with, with 61 years, I've um, practiced um, uh, many of these things that magic can offer. You know, from performing to, to studying to writing to lecturing, coaching, uh, and doing master classes. All these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I think the answer is uh, a, a mix of all these is what. Uh, what was the gratification I get from, mm-hmm. uh, and also in the process, I, I think I have been able to grow as a person, and I have been able mm-hmm. to uh, to learn, of course, learn add things that I didn't have, or, mm-hmm. or to uh, refine things I already had, uh, and uh, yeah, for the better of myself and a little bit for the community. Uh, mm. It was a, I, I forget the name. I mentioned him in in uh, in one of the agendas. Uh, it was a musician. Uh, he says, uh, "Well, music cannot change the world. Only people can. But music mm. can change people." And mm. I, I adapted that to say, "Magic can't change the world. Only people can. But magic can change people." Mm-hmm. And that is certainly true if you practice that as a. You're a, a hobbyist, an amateur, or a professional, but if you practice it with uh, dedication, with passion, and with well, a certain talent also, I must say, uh, right. then, then the, the, the result will be that you become a better human person. If you're a better human being, you, you're contributing to a better mm-hmm. world. I mean, this is uh, uh, sounds very simplistic, and I'm by no means uh, new age-ish or religious or in that in, in that sense but uh yeah that's reality of life and i think that's important mm-hmm. it reminds me of what you said earlier about how it doesn't it doesn't matter quite so much what art form or, or whatever pursuit you choose it's just the fact it's just seeing it through right uh, any one of them most of them not all of them but most of them will work for you and turn you into that person if you actually yeah. go deep with it uh, and i love, and so, I love mm-hmm. that addition as well of kind of this like micro versus macro action of like it's kind of what we're talking about with Andy Gladwin actually that I brought up as well is like you the world has changed on an individual basis right and that's kind of the only it's one of the it's the way that we can move forward we we as humans have to change and magic is part of that uh one of those changing forces so I I really like that that answer Mm. 
and speaking of uh, gratification, um, I hope you get some gratification out of knowing that uh, we're, we're huge admirers of yours. And I think everyone listening to this podcast is. We're all yeah. uh, very indebted to you and your work. Uh, it's been an honor uh, speaking with you today, Roberto. And well, thank you um, very much. Before we close, do you have any uh, directions to people listening, uh, places they can check you out? I know right now, as this is going out, it's uh, December. I think you're doing some, a magic advent calendar. It's quite fun. Yeah. Um, do you have I any books you recommend them read? Mm-hmm. When they are going to listen to this, yeah, because it's it's true. This magic advent calendar, which I had. So it's going from the tw- from the 1st to the 24th of December. But after that, I hope to to gather all of the contribution, the 24 co- contributions. And I, I, I make a, a, a PDF of it, a, a big PDF, a sort of ebook of the PDF. And uh, I put that on my web shop. And now it's free for the moment. So everybody can, of course. And it's also that the posts will remain free. So if somebody wants to uh, copy and paste them, you know, he can create his own PDF, of course. But I, I, I place them for a little price or for a reasonable price there. And you can download them. So, yeah, that's the place to contact me is robertojobby.com uh, but I, I, w- I will have to beg for forgiveness that I, I can't get into larger correspondence with uh, <laughs> everyone out there I, I yeah. try to get out of all these chat groups and things because not out of disrespect or so which I have great respect for all those who are doing that and doing that in an intelligent way but I just uh, need to uh, use my time for you know to, to write my little books here and do the thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we certainly, we certainly I respect you. I read all the comments. I always say, mm-hmm. I, if you're sending any comments to robertojobby.com, I shall be very happy. And that's really, I appreciate everyone who, who sends in something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we certainly respect you <laughs> giving us your time today. I know we've uh, gone maybe a little bit longer than we expected, but it was just because it was such a fascinating conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so close. Anyone? Uh, obviously, yeah, check out Roberto's website, robertodiobi.com. Also, obviously, if you don't have car college, it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't even know if I need to tell you this, but you should probably have car college. Um, but another good one this time of year is, is Secret Agenda X. That's got 365 uh, different uh, items that you can ding into over the new year as we move into it. Um, so make sure to check all those out. Um, I think with that, we'll end this podcast. Um, thanks for coming on, Roberto. Well, thank, thank you, you very much both of you yeah. and bye bye to everyone who was listening bye bye, bye.